0: If if you're towards the back and those kids start to vacate the premises, the last thing you want to do is get in their way. They are stoked, turned on. Uh, They want to get downstairs uh, and, uh, you know, be a part of whatever's happening down there. So you just don't want to get in their way, right? And so um, I just have to wait and concede to them as they make their way, they navigate downstairs. But hey, we are in Exodus, and and today uh, we, we continue this study And today, believe it or not, man, we're literally on the verge of finishing the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 39. There's only one more chapter left. uh, Next week, if the Lord uh, allows it, we will finish the study in the book of Exodus with only 65 messages. You know, that's pretty good, right? 65 messages? And some of you are thinking, that sounds really, really forced, right? Okay. But... uh, uh you know, what we've tried to do as we've worked our way through the book of Exodus is we've tried to open this thing up that you might see God in a way that maybe you hadn't seen God. We wanted to try, try to highlight some things. There's no way, you think 65 messages is a lot of messages through one book. I tell you, if you covered every dot and tittle in the book of Exodus and you addressed every small fabric, man, you would be here for 130 messages. So, You can now clap, (laughs) just kidding, but hey, I I do uh, want to kind of give you a sense of where we're at. Over the last couple of weeks, we covered the construction of the tabernacle, or at least the elements of the tabernacle, as well as the furniture within the tabernacle. You know, we talked about the, the eastern gate. We talked about the, the altar of sacrifice, the wash basin, the lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. And last week we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, right? And we talked about the three veils, you know, uh, the outer gate and, the, and then the, the first veil, the, the truth, and then the, the curtain of life. We talked about all those things uh, last week. So I hope you got a good sense of what those things represent, even though there's a lot more you, you can learn. Uh, and, and I would encourage you to do your own studies, right? right. And, uh, but today, we go into chapter 39, but before we get there, I do want to say, um, you say, Trent, we, we didn't cover the last 10 verses in chapter 38. Well, I'm going to cover them for you in about five seconds, okay? All right, here it is. Well, not five seconds. You know, my timing is bad to say the least, right? Okay, last 10 verses, there's an inventory. There's an inventory given in the last 10 verses of chapter 28. and It's the inventory on the, the, what, what was needed to carry out what God had commanded regarding the gold, regarding the silver, and regarding the bronze that was, u- that was used in creating these elements. Now remember, the tabernacle, though the elements of the tabernacle have been built, it has not yet been assembled. They have just been constructed. They'll be assembled in chapter 40. But in the the construction of all these elements, I want to give you just a little idea of what it consisted of because it's not necessarily how much was spent or how much was used in doing this. It actually reflects something else about God. As a matter of fact, over 2,200 pounds of gold were used in these things, in these elements, right? 2,200 pounds of gold. There was over 7,500 pounds of silver that was utilized. And then there was over 5,300 pounds of bronze or copper that was being utilized in the construction of these elements. And you say, man, that, that, that sounds like a lot. But what that really speaks to isn't the utilization of all those resources. Because what we remember was that the people of God were bringing even more Remember that? And the scripture says that they had to be restrained from continuing to give. Because everything that was needed for building the tabernacle and erecting the tabernacle and all the furniture had been provided. So what that really speaks to when we consider what was used, when we consider what wasn't used, was God's provision upon the exiting from Egypt. Remember, this are, these are the, the resources that the people of Egypt bestowed upon. Listen, bestowed upon the children of Israel as they were exiting Egypt, having been prompted and God given the children of Israel, Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So you understand God's provision in this dynamic. It's, it's massive, massive. That is... general assessment of those ten verses. You can go back and you can read those verses and you'll see exactly what I just read to you. Now it may be measured in different measurements but that is what it was. Now we're going into chapter 39 and there's some other things that are taking place here in chapter 39. Now listen when we get into some of this scripture I know it's pretty labor-intensive. You know what I'm talking about, Josh? Man, you're talking about clothes for a priest. You're talking about you're talking about you know uh, about uh, you know uh, certain elements of this this outward wear, and you're like, oh man, Trent, get on to the gospels, get on to G- some. Uh, th- this seems like it's really difficult stuff. It, it's hard to really to extract anything from that that's going to really benefit me. But what we're going to do is we're going to do that very thing. We're going to do that very thing this morning. So. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look at this chapter. We're not going to look at all this chapter because it closes with Moses basically inspecting everything that they had done and then blessing it. But we're going to watch the the fulfillment of the commission of God in regards to the, the outward dress of the high priest and the priest, okay? And so we're going to pray Because you're going to have to trust me this morning as we navigate this for your benefit and for my benefit, okay? So let's pray for Trent and pray for the Spirit of God to lead Trent and to speak to you. Amen? Let's do that this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you as sons and daughters. I praise your name, Lord, for our children downstairs. Bless the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, the excitement. Lord, that stirs my spirit. Oh, God. I pray, Father, this morning for those who are up here that you would stir their spirits like our children are being stirred by the truth of your word, the application of it, the, 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 the power to change us. And ultimately that our eyes would see Jesus all the more clear as we navigate your word because you delight to show yourself to us. Oh God, may we not be a vessel that would become a barrier to that very thing happening this morning, but may we find ourselves just being kind of ushered out of the way and just becoming a mouthpiece by which you could speak uh, to those that are gathered here today. And we're going to trust you in this, we're going to, I need to hear from you. They need to hear from you. We need to hear from your word this morning. Oh, God, may a demonstration of the power of your spirit be present here today, opening hearts and minds to the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, turn with me to Exodus chapter 39. If you don't have your Bible with you or... If you want to use a, a, a tablet, a phone, you can do that. If not, the scripture will be uh, on the monitors up here, so you can follow along with us. But uh, there are three things I'd, I would like to say this morning, just three uh, short statements to see if you recognize these statements. Have you ever heard uh, someone say, the clothes make the man? Have you ever heard that? You've heard that. Have you not? I've heard this. The clothes make the man. You ever heard the statement... Dress for success. You've heard that? I've heard that. I've, I've also heard this third statement. That I, it's relatively new, at least to me. It may not be so much new to you, but I've heard people say certain things like this. They'll say, don't dress for the job you have. Dress for the job you want. Right? right. So if you see the garbage man in a suit, he's wanting to be a lawyer. Or a banker, I don't know. I, don't, I guess if that's the application you want to make. But the implication, the implication is that there's some value to the exterior dressings of an individual. Now what I want to tell you this morning, those principles to some degree are never more true than in the portion of Scripture that we're about to read. Because I'm telling you. Without what God has provided in the outward adornment of the high priest, that being Aaron, there would be no value in Aaron as an individual. And we're going to look at that. Nor would there be any value in me and you apart from the clothing of Jesus and his righteousness. Because that's the reality. We have been clothed in his righteousness, right? And so we're going to see uh, something very similar to that taking place. Exodus chapter 39. And we're going to read verse 1. And then we're going to sit for a minute from verse 1. You're like, well, Trent, it's it's just one statement. There's not a lot to be found there. Oh, there's a lot to be found there. And we're we're going to dig it up, Hunter. We're We're going to shovel it out. Shovel it out this morning. And this is what the scripture says. Exodus chapter 39, verse 1. It says, from the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, they made woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary." You guys have that, right? Listen, they also made, as though this statement is kind of an addition, you know, a just, you know, a, a, a back a back row comment type thing, but it's not. It says, they also made sacred garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded, right? So when it says, and they also made, it almost gives this impression that this is some kind of a second thought type consideration. Well, we're, we're doing this, we're making all of these, these garments of ministering in the sanctuary. Oh, and by the way, we're going to make something for Aaron and his boys as well, right? Who are going to serve as priests in the tabernacle. But there's nothing that could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, when we first see this happening, it is actually happening in Exodus chapter 28 when God first mentions this. And what is happening in that moment isn't just a clothing of one man named Aaron who is going to be high priest. It literally is consistent with the rest of the book of Exodus and it's God's redeeming, redeeming motivation, not just in the nation of Israel, but in the life of the individual that we would know to be Aaron, the brother Of Moses so there's there's God acting get this on behalf of the nation but his eyes aren't lost off the individual who lives in the nation or is part of the nation now this is what it says okay this is what it says in Exodus chapter 28 verse 1 and 2 this is a corresponding verse Have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priest. Listen to this, get this. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron. Listen, to give him dignity and honor. To give him dignity. Now, you've got to get this. God is going to create a garment to instill dignity and honor through these garments into the life of Aaron. The implication is that the life of Aaron lacks dignity and honor, and through this apparel, God is going to adorn him with those very things. Now, you need to get this. You need to get this, all right? The reason... The reason, the need for the instilling of dignity and honor. Do you remember the golden calf scene? Do you think Aaron coming out of that golden calf failure where he had helped lead the, or at least conceded to the leading of the children of Israel into idolatry? Do you think now... In light of all of those things, though much work has been been done, that the people of Israel are looking at Aaron as though he is this highly esteemed individual, that he wasn't part of of the problem or at least a facilitator or at least an apathetic agent to the idolatry of the people. Do you think people were looking at him and thinking, man, that guy is full of dignity and he's full of honor. Do you think that's what the people were perceiving Aaron as? I will go so far as to say, I guarantee you that wasn't it. This is the beautiful part about what is happening in this verse that we just read through and we do not consider. The provision for the dignity and honor in the life of Aaron is created in chapter 28. The fall of of the golden calf experience happens in chapter 32. And you say, "Well, what does that mean?" It means this. Before his honor was corrupt, before his dignity was forfeited, God had already made provision to reinstate in the life of Aaron dignity and honor. And you say, "Well, what's that what? So what? What does that mean?" I say to you that Jesus Two, has given his life not for you when you're at your very best, but he had given his life for you when you're at your very worst, making provision to cover you just like God had made provision to recover Aaron. That is a very, very powerful thought, even at the very beginning of this chapter, that you and I have got to embrace. That God is looking at Aaron and knew. Do you know how I know? Do you know how I know? Because in Exodus chapter 32 verse 7, the scripture says this to Moses while Aaron is down there helping corrupt the people or at least allowing it to happen. And God says to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Moses gets down there and he says to Aaron... What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Here's the incredible reality. God had spoken to Moses, and Moses sees Aaron as one who was an agent of failure, but in the back of his mind, the discipline, the, the, the punishment... was was literally withheld from Aaron. Why? Because God had already told Moses, I've got a, a dignified and honorable plan for him. Oh, if you and I, understanding people in their very worst, in their lowest of places, if we can look at them, and just for a minute, By the grace of God, see the very thing that God is wanting to do in and through them. We will view them completely different. We'll be more merciful, more graceful, less critical, less bitter towards them. We will see them in the same light with the same purpose that God sees them in. And I'm telling you, when we start seeing people with grace like that, that is transforming. Transforming. Oh, I wonder if Moses just wanted to look in there and say, oh, just, oh, oh, God's got something for you that's honorable and dignified. I want to say to you, wherever you're at, whatever's going on, because every one of us can get at this place, right? And you've been there. You've been there. I've seen many of you there. I've been there. We're on the other side of dignity. We're undignified. We're on the other side of honor. We're dishonorable. And the weight of the dishonor and the weight of the undignified expressions in our life just cripple us. And the only way out is this strand of grace extended to us. And it's like a rope, man. A life preserver, Jay, thrown out to us. And in that undignified and dishonorable place of complete and utter failure, we just take that. And if we're willing to take it, he's willing to pull us out of the undignified and dishonorable to the dignified and honorable. And if you find yourself in that place today of honor and dignified through the grace of Jesus, if you find yourself there, it's because you did latch on and you were pulled which should instill in you a compassion and an empathy or, 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 or a, a, a sympathy as well, of those people still there. To where you can look at them and think, oh man, if you'll just grab on, right? Okay, that's the first verse. First verse. First verse. Galatians chapter 3, 26-27 says this though. So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Dignity and honor. Right? I could go on Isaiah. He he talks about us being uh, arrayed in in a robe of righteousness. And then Romans 5, 8, we just read it, right? We just quoted it. We just talked about While we were yet sinners, while we were at our lowest, the most undignified, the most dishonorable, he made us dignified. He made us honorable, right? While we were yet sinners, he died for us, right? The provision was made before Kevin even realized he needed it. Okay, Trent, keep reading. We got a lot of chapter or a lot of this chapter to get through, a lot of scripture. Let's look at verse 2. This is what the scripture says. And they made an ephod of gold and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, a finely twisted linen. They hammered out the thin sheets of gold and cut strands to be worked into the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. The work of skilled hands. They made, no. Put that back on the back burner. We'll address that. They made shoulder pieces for the ephod which were attached to two of its corners so it could be fastened. Now, the ephod is kind of like a sleeveless vest. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it. If, I, if I'd have found a good picture, I'd have posted it up here so you could see it. But it, it looked like a sleeveless vest, right? It says, they made shoulder pieces for the ephod which were attached to two of its corners so it could be fastened. it's skillfully... Woven waistband was like it of one piece with the ephod and made with gold, with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, with finely twisted linen, as the Lord commanded. This is a this is a statement that's going to be reaffirmed uh, and, and, and said over and over and over again in this scripture. So you have to understand that this wasn't the fashioning of men's hearts, but these were the commands of God, right? Just go ahead and concede that. Everything done, whether it makes sense to you or doesn't make sense, regardless whether it makes, you understand it or not, regardless, it's been commanded by the Lord. Yeah. All right? Listen. They mounted the onyx stones in gold filigree settings and engraved them like a seal. Check this out. With the names of the sons of Israel. There's two of these stones in gold filigree. And upon each of these stones are six names Upon each stone, these six names represented six tribes of Israel. This stone over here represented six tribes of Israel. So the twelve tribes of Israel are represented on these two stones, right? Right. Now, 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 hold hold on to this. They fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a memorial as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded. Now the scripture says that. These, these were the work of skilled hands. This wasn't just some thrown together uh, uh, rubbish of articles of stones. This was meticulously made. And these two stones which bore the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were set upon the high priest's shoulders, fastened there. So the high priest, in, in his functions as a high priest, would bear the weight of the 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 the, the weight of, of of the the act of the high priest regarding appropriation, you know, making things right, he would literally enter into his service with the weight of the nation upon him. It would be upon him because the high priest. I want you to get. We're going to touch on this. The high priest wasn't just interceding. The high priest was also the agent of direction, and we'll touch on that just coming up. So he would enter into this situation, and he would have these stones, and he's making appropriation. And you say, well, okay, Trent, man, don't be throwing around those theological terms. What is appropriation? Propriation is making wrong things right, or an act that brings wholeness. You know what I'm talking about? That's what appropriation is. It restores a good standing. And you're like, man, I, I don't get the appropriation thing. I don't get what we got. Well, we have something in America, in our culture, it's a day appropriation. And some of you didn't know that that's what it is. It's really what it is. It's a day appropriation. And every husband utilizes the day of appropriation. It's called Valentine's Day. Right? And what we do as husbands with all of our failures and broken fellowship, and we corrupted the good standing with our lovely wives, right? What we do is we go out, we buy some chocolate, right? We get some flowers, and then we, we make appropriation. We restore good standing, right? And this is what the priest was doing. He was carrying out his responsibilities, bearing the weight of the nation upon himself to bring them into good standing with God. But oh, there's a scripture. There's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. man. And last week, man, I had mentioned, Hunter, Christmas in July kind of thing. I threw the whole Hallmark phrase out there, right? But we got a little bit more Christmas happening this morning in July. Because there's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 that speaks to this very facet of the ministry of Jesus. And the Messiah, the Christ. He says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Meaning the responsibility of the care, the direction, all of these things would rest upon his shoulders. You see, he's our priest. Right? He's our priest. And the scripture says, as the Lord commanded. I'm so thankful, Carl, that Jesus is bearing the weight of my appropriation. And I don't have to bear it myself. Because, Ronnie, there's times I'm too weak to bear it. My reach is too short. My strength is too limited. My understanding too narrow. I can't even begin to come up under that weight. And when we try it, it only leaves us exhausted and fatigued. Thank you, Jesus, that my weight is upon you. Isn't that what Jesus said when he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's what he's saying. Give me the heavy stuff. Give me the heavy stuff. And some of you are carrying some heavy stuff. And I would say to you this morning, our priest, our intercessor, our agent, appropriation, that being Jesus, is saying today, Jay, give me the heavy stuff. Right? It's on his it's, it was on Aaron's shoulders as priest and it's on Jesus' shoulders as priest. But then the scripture says this. Listen, we're going to try to get through this. They fashioned the breastpiece. Listen, the work of a skilled craftsman. They made it like an ephod, they made it like the ephod of gold, of blue, purple, scarlet yarn, a finely twisted linen. It was square, a span long, and a span wide, and folded double. This is a breast piece. They mounted the four rows of precious stones on it. Four rows. Anybody want to guess how many was in each row? How about three? Yes, whoever said three out there, you get the door prize. Three. Unless you're Josh. Then they mounted the four rows of precious stones on it. The first row was of carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row was turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. And the third row was jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row was topaz, onyx, and jasper. Listen to this. They were mounted in gold filigree, just like the two that were on the shoulders. Filigree sentence. Listen, there were 12 stones. This is different. One for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. One of the 12 tribes. Now, I want you to understand, I want you to get this. This breast piece, every time I read this, I want to say breast plate, right? This breast piece was commonly referred to, this is so well, the breast piece of decision. And some of your other translations will render it the breast piece of judgment. Right? Your translation may render it as it's mishfall in the Hebrew, and it means decisions or judgment. Meaning making or giving direction. A judgment here, there. A decision here, there. That's what it, that's what it was called. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 28, now remember Aaron's wearing this thing, man. Aaron is wearing this thing. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel. Listen to this. Now the judgment, listen, and the decision making, which this breast piece represented, listen to where it's at. Listen to where it's at. He will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart. The breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Exodus 28, 15 literally says, fashion a breastpiece for making decisions, the work of skilled heads. That's in Exodus 28. But this breastpiece of decision and judgment was to be worn over Aaron's heart. And then the scripture says something else, man. It's going to kind of throw you off. Because you're like, man, I have no idea what Trent done went into some you know, new age nonsense this morning, but I'm just going to read you the scripture. i want to read you the scripture. Listen, when new age and some of these secular venues steal the properties of God, they aren't new age. They are stolen principles of God. We do not concede the principles of God to agents of the enemy who steal them. Might I say the rainbow and I'll leave it there. Right? Okay, Trent, get off your politics. I'm making a point. Listen to this. Listen to this. And this is Moses. He says, in 2830, he says, Also put the Urim and the Thuman in the breastpiece. Now, this is wild and crazy. So they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. The Urim and the Thuman, what are you talking about, Trent? Well, the Bible doesn't really elaborate on this except for this situation right here. It, it later alludes to this regarding Joshua and the high priest and him seeking counsel as well. The Urim and, and, and the, the uh, uh, Thuman were, most Bible theologians say that they were two stones and they were set in the breastpiece or the breast plate. And whenever he would go in to get guidance and seek the Lord. The Lord would use these two stones as a yes or a no. Now the stones literally mean perfect light. So I don't know, man, if the stones lit up, if the stones got hot. The scripture doesn't say. I don't. The stones may have talked. Jeff just said the rocks would cry out. So I'm not beyond thinking that there might be talking rocks. I don't know, but God is supernatural, and for us to limit Him to only being an oracle who can speak you know, the, uh, the, the language you and I speak, or speak this way, or speak that way, I, I, I'm not sure that would be wise of us. But in this case, this is a means of communication. Now let me say this to you. This was basically a spiritual red light, green light thing happening. Right? He would pull out this urum, this, this Thuman, and he would inquire of the Lord, however it played out, and God would respond, yes or no. And you're just like, hey man, that, that seems like a pretty crude uh, sense of direction. Hey, our lives would be a lot more effective, a lot more stable, a lot more secure, If we were inquiring of the Lord, not for the details of His purpose, but if we were just inquiring of the Lord for a yes or a no. And if God just said no, then we're done with it. And if God said yes, then we would move on. I think if we could bring ourselves into a place of simple understanding of God and His Word and just embrace His response to us, regardless of whether or not it's appetizing to us, if we could do that, I think we would find our lives much more effective and deeply centered in his purpose, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about, man. Come on. You know those times when you pray, and you literally say, God, I just need a yes, or I need a no. I'm not good at reading the fine details. Just shut the door open it. That's all I need, Lord. And so Aaron was wearing this breast piece, That had the 12 tribes of Israel now separated, unlike joined together on the shoulders. And this isn't to identify which is greater and which is less. It's to draw us to the reality that God saw each of the tribes as individual tribes. And he sees you as an individual part of the church of the living God. He sees the church corporately together and then he sees us individually set apart for the individual purpose of God. Now the incredible thing about it, when we read the scripture, is that when it says that this thing is to be secure, I don't know if you realize this, but it is to be secured. So let let me read. For the breast piece, they made braided chains of pure gold like a rope. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings and fastened the rings to the two corners of the breast piece. So they're connecting these. They fastened the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breast piece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. So you had a chain coming up here. And they made two gold rings and attached them to the two corners of the breast piece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings, attached them to the bottom so it's attached here. It's almost, can you visualize this Superman emblem? You know, I'm a Superman guy, right? And you can see it attached to the shoulders and then attached to his waist. And this emblem, this, 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 this uh, the 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 this big S, that's kind of the visual I'm wanting to give you. This ephod would sit right here, attached to the shoulders and to the waist. Listen. Listen. They tied the rings of the breastpiece to the rings of the ephod with blue cord, connected it to the waistband so that the breastpiece, oh God, so that the breastpiece would not swing out from the ephod as the Lord commanded. Did you hear that? Did you just hear that? It is to be worn over his heart. As he serves as the high priest for appropriation and direction and counsel. And you know what God says? Secure it in such a fashion that it doesn't sway away from your heart. <laughs> My goodness, are you kidding me? He literally said, "Don't let the breastpiece move away from the heart. What was he saying in, in, in constructing this? He was basically saying, if you allow me the liberty to paraphrase this, when you intercede and you govern, never let the needs of the people be moved away from the center of your being and from your heart. May every decision, every direction you seek, may it be with them attached and he says there, don't let it move. Swing away. Oh, I read this and I thought of myself. When I pray for people, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray for you. Do, do I pray, Lord? Discipline Chase like you discipline me. Discipline Colin like you discipline me. Lord, bring the hammer down on Kevin. Bring the hammer down on Jeremiah. Bring the hammer down on Hunter, on Ronnie. Bring the hammer. Or do I hold them close to my heart? And when I intercede for them, I'm saying, Lord, bless Hunter and his endeavors, right? Oh, God, encourage Chase under the load. He's under. Oh, Lord, come behind Kevin and give him the energy and the breath and the spirit to carry out your purpose in his life and for Wes and for Ben, for Ronnie for Jeremiah when we're interceding as an agent as a priest, because we're called to be a royal priesthood, it's the priesthood of the believers, right? That's you and me, that, that principle, that each and every one of us can intercede on behalf of others. But when we're interceding, are we interceding with them attached to our hearts? Or do we find ourselves interceding with them swinging away from us? Oh, when I pray for your son, I pray for him with him close to my heart. When I pray for your daughter, I pray for her with her close to my heart. And God was saying of the ephah, the breast piece, keep them close, right? <laughs> you understand, right? You you're tracking with me? You with me? Because I can go back and say it all again and pull you back on track and just like if for the sake of the gospel, don't do it, trip. You see for the sake of the chicken I have on the stove. Don't do that. And the scripture says, once again, the work of a skilled craftsman. The work of a skilled craftsman. And then we move on. Listen. Uh, we finished verse 21 with, as the Lord commanded, right? This ain't my thinking, Jay. You see? I didn't come up with a breast piece. I didn't come up with an ephod with filigrees. See, Jesus models this, Krista. He does, and he models it beautifully. In John chapter 17, did you know John chapter 17 is the longest documented prayer of Jesus in all the New Testament? Did y'all know that? It's The, long, the entire chapter is Jesus praying. You go to John 18, and it says, and when he finished praying. It's, just, it's the longest prayer. And listen, I don't have to go through John 7, 17 to get this point across. Read it yourself, because I'm telling you, when you read that and you read how he's cried out on behalf of you and on behalf of me and his disciples and those who would come to faith through their words, you understand, man, that that high priest has the breastpiece close to his heart. Right? Yeah. So we want to pray like Jesus, right? We want to be like Aaron. The needs of those in our lives, for the sake of all good and, and holy, fight for them, right? Then the scripture says, they made the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth. The work of a weaver. Now we're getting into some of these extra, extra uh, garments. I'm talking about his sons and, and some other things. We'll get into all that. With an opening in the center of the robe, like the opening of collar, we're still, we're still working on Aaron. The next verse we'll get into the, the accessories or the extra. It says... Uh, in the center of the robe, like the opening of a collar, and a band around this opening, so that it would not tear. They made uh, uh, pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finally twisted linen around the hem of the robe. Now, listen to this. Now we're going to get into this. We're going to touch on this, and some of you will think, "Hey, man, I was told this in my Sunday school class one time uh, about ten years ago, and I just assumed it was true. So I've been teaching it for ten years. I never checked it out. And I'm going to tell you today, it isn't true." Okay. Not to cast any shame, blame, or guilt. I just want to bring some clarification and understanding to what is actually biblically true. It says, they made uh, pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen around the hem of the robe. This is the part that you've been taught. And they made bales of pure gold to attach them around the hem between the pomegranates. The bales and the pomegranates alternated around the hem of the robe to be worn for ministering as the Lord commanded Moses, right? Now some of you have heard this teaching that the high priest would wear these bells with a rope tied around his leg and if he went into the, uh, into the inner sanctum, if the bells quit uh, uh, ding a ling ling right? You know, if they quit ringing, then they would assume that the priest had fallen dead and by that rope they would pull the priest out of the holy place. How many of you have heard this? Wrong is not true, is not accurate. As a matter of fact, when you read in Leviticus, the high priest doesn't even wear the bells into the holy of holies. That is all taken off. A different garment is put on on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, when he enters in to that most holy of sanctums, the holy of holies, where the ark resides. I'm going to tell you what the bells were for. They are for what we just read. Listen. Around the hem of the robe to be worn for ministry. In Exodus 28, there's a clarifier. He says, the gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard while he's ministering. When he enters into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. You know what the bells were for? A reminder that the people would hear as the high priest was entering in to the holy place. Not the holy of holies. He only went in there once a year and without the bells. But when he had entered the the holy place to perform daily activities as the high priest, They would hear them going in and coming out. And it was a reminder to all those who were encamped around the tabernacle when they heard the bells ringing, intercession was being made. Is there any greater sound than to find yourself in the presence of someone? Listen, this has happened to me. This has happened to me. I have literally walked in on people. And they were crying out on my behalf before the Lord. They would be saying, Lord, would you encourage Trent? Would you love Trent? Would you strengthen Trent? Would you cover Trent? Would you give? And I'm telling you, there's times I've walked into that and it sounds like bells ringing unto the Lord that God's service on my behalf is being carried out. And there's times when I've walked in and I've heard those things that I Colin, I call, just want to walk back out, man. It's such a holy thing. I just want to walk back out. And I just want to soften. Oh, Lord, thank you. If you've never heard your name uttered on the lips of another person on your behalf, my heart breaks for you. Because there is no sweeter thing than to have your name. Amy, Lord, would you bless Amy. I know she's having a tough week. Works but crazy, she's doing this. she's got this responsibility. Jeremiah has abandoned her in her responsibility the responsibility. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying when you hear that, and that's what these bells represented. a reminder, right? A reminder. We all need to be reminded, from time to time that others have our back. And others others are fighting for us, praying for us, interceding for us. They love us at times more than we even love ourselves. There's a little girl at the daycare. I was down at the daycare the other day. There's a little girl named Whitley. How old is Whitley? Two and a half. Two and a half. She acts like she's 15. <laughs> I mean, she's a little boss. You know what I'm talking about? And the day I went dinner, she was the only one dinner besides Ivy. Everybody, I guess, uh, you know, had, t- had taken a day off. So there was little Willie, still trying to run the show. Walk around her, shoulders thrown back, high-stepping. Doesn't care what's going on. She's there. You walk in, you see her, and she's got this look on her face like, aren't you glad to see me? You see it. I mean, it- it's really sweet. But she was in there the other day, and I'm telling you, man, I had to pray for some grace. Her mom, I don't know who did it. We need to intervene and intercede for them. They had bought her these sandals that had squeakers in them. Somebody says, Where's Wendley? And I'm like, bring, 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 bring. every step she took, squeak, 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 squeak. And then it'd get louder, you knew she was coming. Oh, but the prayers and the intercession of our brothers and sisters when the bells ring. Spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, there is no annoyance. There is no sweeter sound, right? So the bells were used for that very thing. Do you think he did it because he knew the people would need to hear it? I got a feeling, yeah. Hey, move on, Trent. All right, all right, we're 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 about there. We're closing. Sort of. Exodus thirty nine twenty seven through 31, let's just read this. For Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen. This is the portion I was referencing earlier. I apologize. The work of a weaver and the turban of fine linen, the linen caps and the undergarments of finely twisted linen. The sash was made of finely twisted linen and blue, purple and scarlet yarn. The first was the work of a weaver. You saw that right? Now this is the work of an embroider, as the Lord commanded. You see that again, Jay, you see that? They made the plate the sacred emblem out of pure gold engraved on it, like an inscription on the seal this is what it says: "Holy to the Lord." Then they fastened a blue cord to it and attached it to the turban as the Lord commanded. Now, I want you to notice in the scripture, there's several articles being made, created in chapter 29. As a matter of fact, it says the work of a weaver, the work of an embroiderer, the work of a skilled craftsman, the work of skilled hands. What I want you to understand in that is this. You don't want a plumber doing your electrical work, Hunter. And you don't want Hunter, the electrician, plumbing your house. And his wife gives me an amen. I've seen her shake her head. Literally what was happening. The embroiderer was doing the work of an embroiderer. He had no business trying to fashion the other things. Right? The weaver was doing the work of a weaver. Right? The skilled craftsman, was producing work with a skill God had given him, craftsmanship. And then the individual who was working with his skilled hands, whatever that might be, was doing that. And I think there's a lesson, and we'll move quickly from that, to understand we just need to find our place in this. And be okay with being the embroiderer, the weaver, the skilled craftsman, or just possessing skilled hands to do whatever is necessary. That's free. Let's move on. And we're going to close. The scripture says, holy to the Lord. You know what that literally means? He was identifying this high priest in this moment. These plans were made even when Aaron had failure in his future. And God was saying, this individual with failure in his future, I have ordained that he will be set apart. You and I refer to these terms, sanctified. No, set apart, to be made whole. He was designated as an instrument for the purpose of God, a failure. So what hope do you and I have in our failing tendencies? Our hope is in the purpose and the plan of God that we too, beyond our failures, can be redeemed and restored and ultimately set apart wholly unto God for real kingdom service. So every man who's experienced what we spoke about at the beginning, the, the lack of honor, the lack of dignity, every man and woman who has been restored, who has been set apart in this reality of this scripture should shout, if not with your voices, in your being. That hope again rekindled by the grace of God. And you know who's made all this possible? I'm going to surprise you. Jesus. Shocker. Shocker. I've never been so shocked. Jesus. As the high priest of Israel made it possible for them As an agent of God's grace and mercy, Jesus makes it possible for us as an agent of grace and mercy. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 says this. Cling to this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, not a high priest. We have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, identified. Let us wholly firm to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. He bears us. He keeps us close to his heart, right? But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's our high priest. But then there's this little caveat. Because of what he's done, guess who we have been called to be? And this is articulated through the lips of a failing man. He too was undignified and dishonorable. He too had fallen disgracefully and has been remembered down through history. His name is Peter. Cephas. And you know what he said? A man who had fallen, a man who had failed. He says this. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. Like Israel, a holy nation. God's special possession that, listen, that you may declare the praises of Of him, listen, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is so, so similar, a mirror of Israel and Egypt. You see, God too, this is a double calling. You don't read it in the text, but it actually is a double calling. Just like Israel was called out of Egypt, the double calling is that then Israel is called into God. We have been called out of darkness and called into his wonderful light. That's the reality. That's the truth. But what's being experienced in a lot of lives is there's been a calling out of the darkness. But we haven't transitioned to the wonderful light. We're not walking in that. You know what I'm talking about now? You know what I'm talking about, brother? You know people who say, oh man, God delivered me out of this, that, and another. But I'm not really following him the way I should. I haven't really, I've come out of this, but I've not really gone into that. And there is this double calling in that scripture where Peter says, you've been called out of the darkness. That ain't enough. You've been called into the wonderful lights. What keeps us? What keeps us from walking in that? What is it that prevents us from walking in that? All the provision's been made. What keeps us? just out of darkness and just out of the wonderful light. May I say to you that you can't linger there long. You can't linger there long. It will destroy you there. There there are no neutral places in the spiritual realm. There are no neutral places, so this morning I say to you, my brothers and sisters, as we finish this message. Come on in to the wonderful light. Come on in, just jump, ju- jump, jump on, jump on in. Jump on in. Remember Peter in the boat. Remember he recognizes Jesus on the shore, and he started pedaling to get back to. Hey, what he did. You know what he did? He jumped on in the water. and While the others were pedaling to get to the shore, this cat was fighting tooth and nail to get to the shore. I think he was experiencing the reality of what he would later share about the transition from the darkness into a whole new experience with Jesus. So this is the call for you and me today. So... Just staying stay with me this morning. I, I bless you guys. I thank you for giving me your attention this morning and hearing this out as we work through this scripture. but I pray it's just more it's not just uh, words and you know smooth and quick talk. I, I pray that it's something so much deeper than that. That you aren't just considering these things to be something that Trent has spoken about, but these are things that are anchored in the truth of the scripture and in the character of Jesus and the love of a father who's extending this to each and every one of us out there. And you say, Trent, I've never even accepted Christ. I'm full-blown still walking in darkness. But man, this morning, I sure wouldn't like to come out of that mess. And I sure would like to come on into that wonderful light. And maybe you're that brother, man, who, or sister who has found themselves struggling, teetering, treading on that neutral side. You know what I'm talking about? And this morning you're saying, oh, no, man, no more of this, no more of this, man. I want to be all in, I want to walk in the fullness of Jesus. I want to be in that place he's called me to be in, his wonderful light, right? So let's pray this morning. The head's bowed. Let's enter into that prayer closet. It's it's completely dark in the sense that no one can hear you, no one can see you other than you and God. You could stay in that prayer closet by just closing your eyes and you are now in the company of of God. It's just you and God. What is going on in your heart this morning? What is Oh, come on, man. Come on, my brother. Come on, my sister. Father, what I pray this morning, what I'm asking you, Lord, this morning, is that in this moment you would break the fear that's in people's hearts, That you would break any element of resistance. That you would make hearts and minds pliable this morning. Receptive this morning to your spirit. And I'm going to ask Carrie if she'd just come for a moment. We're just going to give you a moment. Listen, this is for you, man. This ain't for me. This is for you this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes, I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm not, I do not know. I'm not not chasing you down on Facebook. I'm not shadowing you at your workplace. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing, but you really know, right? You know, you know, oh man, a good day to be honest with your God, right? Right? So today may be that day for you and what we're going to do we're just we're going to give a moment for you for you and if you want to come and you just want to pray you need to talk to God that's perfectly fine man no one no, listen man when I first come to the Lord and I was saying, man I could have picked my mail up at the altar I was there so often I mean I felt like my, that was my residence that was my residence And I found myself there. I mean, there were people who got tired of me going down there. I had an old lady come to me one time, an older lady, and she said, boy, I hope it sticks this time. That's what she said. And you know what I thought? I hope it does too. I hope it does too. But that wasn't the last time I was there. I kept going. And I kept going every time I had a knee in my heart. I didn't care what people were saying about me. That didn't really matter. I didn't care if the old lady was discouraging or encouraging. I wasn't going down it for her. Jay, I was going down there for me. And so this morning, you have the same opportunity that Trent Evans had. And altars provided. Listen, no fuss. I'm not going to be on you down here. You can come up here and pray by yourself. You can speak to God yourself. You can have that time alone with God. That's, that's your prerogative. But if you want somebody to pray for you, that's available. All you have to do is come up here and just throw your hand up and say, Tripp, would, would you pray for me? Would someone pray with me? And someone, I guarantee you, brother sister, someone will pray with you. Someone will love you. And they'll do it, listen, they'll do it with a breast piece (laughs) close to their heart this morning, all right? Okay, we're going to give a moment.